encouraging to me too that we got some more guys getting involved in the song leading, Bradley and Dan joining in that. That's a blessing. Uh, you know, as Pastor talked about this morning, you know, we're all supposed to be edifying each other and growing and uh, being more and more useful for the Lord and His church. And uh, it's, a, it's a real blessing and encouragement. You know, we're all, we're all trying to serve the Lord together. Uh, my, my message today kind of goes along. It's, it's interesting, um, pretty, pretty closely what Pastor was preaching this morning. But this has been on uh, my mind uh, a lot lately and uh, been a little bit out of bounds with it, I think. Uh, and uh, I've had several discussions with, with Pastor and with uh, some other uh, folks, Pastor Webb, I think. And I want to preach today a message from Exodus 3. I'm going to read 1 to 22. And uh, the title of the message today is Freedom to Serve God. Freedom to Serve God. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when God, and, excuse me, and when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him from out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have seen the oppression Wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Now come therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people of Egypt, out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, 
When I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent thee unto them. Sent me unto you, excuse me. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go, and gather the elders of Israel together, and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken unto thy voice, and thou, sh- and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. You know, in society today, where God-given rights are being trampled, it's a natural thing for us to be reactionary to these attacks and Proclaim the rights of life, liberty, and property. But we can't get distracted with the blessings of freedom and miss the purpose of our freedom. Webster's 1828 dictionary describes freedom as a state of exception, exemption, excuse me, a state of exemption from the power or control of another. Liberty, exemption from slavery servitude, or confinement. Freedom is personal, civil, political, and religious. You know, the men that, and women and the families that left England, they didn't come here just to have their rights. They came here to worship God freely. They came to serve God according to the Bible. And they were so convicted about that that they went through some very, very arduous things to realize that. But they recognize it as being important. And hopefully by the end of this exposition through Exodus, and it's kind of a broad topic, so I hope I get through it all, but I hope that we can all see from this passage that it, it is the will of God that people be free to worship Him. But to seek to establish freedom apart from obedience to the divine ruler 
is to search for eternal redemption apart from the Lamb of God. I'm going to say it one more time, then we're going to pray. It is the will of God that people be free to worship Him, but to seek to establish freedom apart from obedience to the divine ruler is to search for eternal redemption apart from the Lamb of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you just give me wisdom today, that I would speak your word according to the text, and um, that the conclusions that we draw would be according to um, a faithful understanding of it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Point number one. The necessity of freedom. The necessity of freedom. <laughs> Specifically in, the, in this passage, in the um, Exodus story, the necessity of freedom was to establish a people. If you look there in Exodus 1, 8 to 14, excuse me, I want to start in Genesis. Genesis 15, 13 to 16 is actually where it's going to start with Abraham. Uh, God calls Abraham to adventure. He calls Abraham to come out from his, from his family, from his kindred. And he says, if you come out, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Verse 13, Genesis 15, 13. And he said unto Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, Egypt. And shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. We're going to come back to that. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward they shall come out with great substance. And thou shalt go unto thy fathers in peace, and shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So God promised to Abraham that he's going to build of him a great nation. And if we look in the, in the case of the, the children of Israel in the beginning of Exodus, go to Exodus 1 now, Exodus 1, verse 8 to 14. We read a little bit more about their, their state, where they're at. More of this affliction that, that God described over there in Genesis that would, would befall them. He said, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. And he said unto the people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also to our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor and made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field and all of their service wherein they made them to serve was with rigor. We see here in this passage, we see a tyranny that's been enacted over the children of Israel. And the Bible says that they're going to be afflicted for 400 years. There's a tyranny over their time. How much time do you have left over after a 12-hour day of work, gentlemen, to spend with your families? You don't have any. My kids go to bed at 8 o'clock, right? If I leave work at 7 in the morning and I get home at 7 at night, that's not much time, quality time to spend with your children. That's really important. And I'm not being afflicted with rigor. 
Okay? People were slaves in Egypt. They had a tyranny of their time. They, they, their, their life was not their own. And whatever the Egyptians told them they had to do, they had to do it. And they had to put in a lot of hours. So time away from family, was, it was not good. Think of what that does to a people when, when the fathers are absent. We kind of see that in our modern society today. When dad is out working all the time and doesn't have that influence over his kids to, to raise them up in the right way. It's very important for society and culture. And we had a tyranny of their time in this passage. They have a tyranny over their energy. They're made to work with rigor. So when they come home, they don't have time to invest and energy to invest in their families and think about their future and their well-being. They had a tyranny over their money. They're slaves, after all. They're not pulling down a good salary. They have a tyranny over their posterity. In the later part of this chapter, you see, you see the barbaric practice of infanticide. The Lord spared a lot of them. The midwives refused to obey Pharaoh's commandment. There were still a lot of babies got thrown in that river. The children were ripped away from them. And it's, it's no wonder that the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. They were supposed to be in Egypt. They were supposed to go through this difficulty. They were supposed to go through this hard time. They were going to go through this affliction. God knew. God hadn't forgot about them. He said they're going to serve for 400 years, the Egyptians. If you think about point number two, the timing of freedom, uh, we, 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 clearly from all of this that we're seeing, we see that the necessity of freedom is, is quite clear. The nation of Israel, if this continues, is going to be wiped off the map. You cannot maintain a national identity when your infants are being thrown into a river. It's not going to work. You cannot maintain your national identity when the men, the leaders of, of the children of Israel that are supposed to be passing down the traditions of their fathers, the promise given to them of a nation, um, if they're out working all the time and they're not able to pass down those lessons. We see, we see the real the real threat of extinction here for the children of Israel. And so the, the necessity of freedom is, is really clear. But God has a plan. Number two, I want to notice the timing of freedom. The timing of freedom. God did not deliver right away. In this passage right here, we have 100, 100 years, starting in, in Exodus, eight, uh, Exodus 1, excuse me, 104 years of hard bondage, bondage described. So uh, whether or not you know, the children of Israel um, were subjugated to this extreme level of affliction, infanticide, and hard bondage the whole time, the whole 400 years, 
We don't know. But 104 years is a long time to be experiencing what is described here in this passage. Pharaoh came to power in 1594. The decree to kill babies, all baby boys, was 1573. Moses was born in 1571. And Moses kills the Egyptian in 1531. He was 40 years old. Pastor Webb just preached on that Thursday night. He's 40 years old when he decides to suffer the affliction of the people of Israel rather than to be the next Pharaoh. And he goes out and he kills that Egyptian thinking that you know, they would understand that God was going to deliver the people through him. And then it's not until 1491 B.C. when Moses is called at the burning bush. It's 104 years. It's easy in our modern day and age, probably in any age, to think about ourselves in a vacuum and forget about the ancients and realize this has been going on for 10,000 years since the creation. Mankind has been going through things and the Lord has been working in mankind and, and, and performing His will and calling out men to, and women and, and all people to serve Him for 10,000 years. This has been going on. And we, and we kind of forget that. And, and sometimes we have a tendency to look around at our state and be like, oh, this is so bad, this is terrible. We're going through all these difficulties and people, the, these leftists, they want to destroy our rights and they want to do all these things. This, this is terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. But a little perspective would be good to learn from time and antiquity and realize that the Lord is faithful. He's preparing a person to lead them out of their bondage. But for the time, it's hard. For the time, it's difficult. For the time, they don't see a way out. And so they cry unto the Lord. Boy number three, the person of freedom. God called a man to this task. He called Moses. Uh, we see uh, in, in Moses' life there, it's described in, in, in chapter 2 that he's taken into Pharaoh's house. No doubt is taught all of the manners and customs of the Egyptians. Uh, he's well-versed in how to be the next ruler of, of the nation of Egypt. Okay? He's not going to be um, basically the grandson of Pharaoh and, and not have um, his education looked to. And... Um, He's, he's a very gifted man. He's, he's a very trained man in language. He's trained in language. He's trained in leadership. He can, he can speak the Egyptian language. He understands their culture. He understands their history. He's a perfect man for this job. Because he's seen the, the affliction of his people. He's, he's already intervened once on their behalf. But when you notice, you notice when the Lord called him, Moses is reluctant. You know, <clears throat> there's, there's, there's some debate as to whether or not this is pride on Moses' part. Because when the Lord of Lords and, and King of Kings calls you to do a task, you should have faith that the Lord of Lords and King of Kings is going to enable you to do the task. Okay, so, so maybe there's some pride there for Moses. It's also interesting that the, the people that you want to be leaders are the people that don't want to be the leaders. <laughs> okay, 
if, if somebody is too eager for, for to be the leader, it's kind of like you got this power hungry thing going on, like it makes us nervous. You know, that's why we, we hate all our politicians. <laughs> okay, that's why we hate Hillary Clinton, right? She'll say everything there is to say. She'll say all the things to get elected. Why? Because power, power. I always think of Prince John when I think of uh, Hillary Clinton from uh, what is it? What is that? Little Robin Hood, the cartoon Robin Hood. This crown gives me a feeling of power. Anyway, that's not what you want. That's not what you want. You want a man that is reluctant. You want a man that said, no, not me. I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not, I can't do it. That's the man you want. And that's what Moses demonstrates here. But you notice it's, it's interesting. He starts off in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, who am I? I'm not, I'm not fit. I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> but when God insists, uh, there in uh, verse 12, he says, certainly I will be with thee. It shall be a token unto thee that when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses, this is going to happen. I'm going to use you to do it. You can do it. And I notice immediately his next question is, who are you? <laughs> so it goes from who am I to, to who are you? <laughs> Who's, who shall I say sent, sent, them, uh, sent me to them? And God, very patiently, gives him the answer. He says, tell him, I am that I am I sent you. And I'm not going to have a lot of time to go into this, but I thought this is very important. Whenever you see the, the, in the King James Version, Lord in, in all capital letters, that's Jehovah. Okay? That is the existing one. Right? This I am that I am, it, it's hard to translate from Hebrew into, into English, but it means I exist. It, it means to be. So, so not only is God greater than us, we all get that, okay? But his name is so much greater than us that he doesn't even, he doesn't even use a noun. It's a verb. I am to be. I am existence itself. And it's so fitting the way that the, the, the God is described to Moses here, and he gets a glimpse of that um, in Exodus 19 as well. But just how vast God is above us. We, we can't even fathom God, and, and it's so fitting that his name is not even in our realm of naming of things. It, it's totally different. And he said, but he says to, to Abraham, tell him that the existing one, the one that is, that is existence, has sent you. Existence itself. So he, he lays this out for Moses. He's like, I'm, I'm the same God that called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he, and he gives him this history lesson to, to remind him of, of the things that he's been taught from the time that he's, he was little. And then you see God's patience even, even after that. He, he, he lays out a plan for, for Moses. He says, go talk to the people. Go tell them what you're going to do. Go talk to the elders. Get them on your side. Verse, uh, this is 16. Verse 16. He said, once you get them on your side, they'll, they'll believe you, Moses. They've been going through this affliction. They're ready to leave Egypt. They've been crying unto the Lord for 400 years to get them out of this. They're ready. So go down there and tell them. And once, you're, once you've gotten them on your side, you're ready to leave, then go to Pharaoh. He spells it out for him. This is patience of God. This one that's, that's transcendent above all things. He's... he's Reaching down to Moses and he's saying, step by step, Moses, this is what you're going to do. Step by step. 
Further on, we see his patience again when Moses is like, I can't even talk. I, I'm not eloquent. He's like, go get Aaron. Okay, Aaron can talk. He's your older brother. He'll help you. When Moses gets close, God tells Aaron, hey, Moses is coming. Go meet him in the wilderness. All right. How great is our God? Anyway, that's an aside, but that was free. But when, when he gets, God gets through all of this explanation and, and this patient direction for Moses, Moses obeys. Moses obeys. In uh, Exodus 4, verse 18, it says, And Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro, Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. I'm about to leave what I know and go off into the unknown. Father-in-law, I'm about to take your daughter, whom you get to see every day, and our children. We know he had at least one boy later on in this passage. Your grandchildren that you get to see, we're going down into Egypt to see if my brother and her are still alive. By the way, I'm a Hebrew too. They're in bondage down there, but I'm going to deliver them out of their bondage. That's a hard sell. But he does it anyway. Because he's convinced that the Lord has called him to do this work. And then in, in 28 to 31, he presents this to the people, and, and just as God said, the people believe. Verse 28, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him, and all the signs which he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. I'm not going to get into it again, but just as as an aside, you see God confirming to Moses one step at a time. He didn't say, Moses, get down there and get, go confront Pharaoh, grab him by the shirt collar and tell him to let my people go. No. Start with the people. When he killed the Egyptian, what did it say? He, he thought that they would understand that he was going to deliver them. But they didn't get it yet. And so God says, go talk to them first. This is going to help you, Moses. It's almost like, almost like Gideon where he gets a, a little bit of confirmation as he goes along. Praise the Lord for his patience and his long-suffering with us. Amen. This is good. <clears throat> so the person of freedom, he's, he's a reluctant leader. But the Lord has definitely called him. And he's got a specific task and he's obedient. Point number four, the purpose of freedom. From the very beginning of this, when God is describing to Moses what he has in mind, he says in verse number 12, he said, you know, Moses, I've, I've called you to, to deliver my people out of, a, out of Egypt from their taskmasters to go take the land of the Hivites and the Perizzites and all these people. But he says in verse 12, and this is, this is key, he says this, And I will certainly be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of the land of Egypt, ye shall serve God in this mountain. That's the purpose of freedom. I'm not bringing you out, Moses. I'm not bringing the children of Israel out that they can serve themselves. I'm not children, built, bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt so they can serve Molech and Ashtaroth and Baal. 
I'm, I'm bringing you out, Moses, so you can serve me. And this is over and over. When Moses goes in to talk to Pharaoh, you find the same thing. And I, and I never, under, never saw this before in this way. You know, it, it's, like, it's like modern Christianity. They always get these catchphrases and they cut off the end part of the catchphrase to make it sound more nice. Let my people go, right? Judge not. They don't, like, they don't do the rest of it. It says, let my people go that they may serve me. You see this over and over again in Exodus 5.1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Let my people go so they may do this unto the Lord, for the Lord. Exodus 7.16 And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Exodus 8.1 And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go to Pharaoh and say unto him thus, Saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. You'll find this over and over and over again. They're called to be different. They're called to be a peculiar people. <clears throat> As you go through the Pentateuch, okay, and trust me, we're not going through the whole Pentateuch. But if you go through the Pentateuch, you will see over and over again that the law is not just a decalogue. It's not, it's not it. It's not just, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's not just, thou shalt not make any, to thee any graven image. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. It's not just that. It's application of that. He's not just telling the people what to do. He's telling the people how to be. God is existence. God is transcendent above all things, and he's laying out for them a way to think, a way to be, a way, the way to serve him. That's the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes, he says, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. I didn't hold anything back from me. I had everything that I wanted, but this is the whole duty of man. At the end of that, I saw everything was empty outside of God. The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. And that's what God is explaining to the children of Israel. He's giving them a way to be, the, the way to do that, the way to fear God and keep His commandments, a way to be. It's, it's more than just a, a, a list of do's and don'ts. Leviticus 11.45 says, For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Be like me. And in five books of the Bible, God explains how he is and how they should be like him. Jesus, Jesus' main critique of the Pharisees was what? That they kept the letter of the law and they forgot what the whole thing was about. They were keeping the, 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 the Decalogue as, as in just this list of rules, but they forgot about how to be holy as I am holy. You know, I'm going to give this sacrifice and I'm going to leave my parents who are aging destitute. What? That's not right. What about the part about being holy? They, they left it. So the purpose of freedom, it, it was to call the children of Israel out of bondage to be free to serve God. This idea has been the idea throughout the scripture, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. 
and he gave him a choice. God doesn't want forced obedience to him. He wants people to freely choose to obey him. That's what he's always desired. And that's why he gives offers to all mankind a, the free gift. Let's be redundant there. All gifts are free. The gift of salvation. But you have to choose it. So, the necessity of freedom, the person of freedom, the timing of freedom, the purpose of freedom, and then we have the priority of freedom. Priority of freedom is secondary to serving the Lord. And a lot of times, I, uh, you know, I've been back and forth on this a lot, and I've struggled with this. I'm very, uh, very much uh, patriotic, <laughs> I guess you'd say. I love our country, and I love what our founders did and their sacrifices that they made. But in reading and studying for this, I realized that they got it, and I don't, and I didn't. When you reverse these priorities where you seek freedom and serving God is secondary, it never leads to freedom. When you serve mammon, when you serve money, you never end up with money. (laughs) You end up with how? When you serve self, you don't get lifted up and exalted. You get put down. Whosoever shall save his life, let him lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life, for my sake and the gospel shall find it. That's an eternal truth. Just some examples throughout history, and and, uh, these are just a few, okay? The Pharisees and the Sadducees in John 8, 31 to 41. I'm not going to read it because I don't have time, but Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and the the Sadducees about the fact that, that he is the Lord and that, you know, they're, they're in bondage right now because they've rejected the Lord. They've rejected the Lord's commandments. They're living in sin. They're going about to establish their own righteousness. And so they've traded the tyranny of oppression for the tyranny of their own self, their own narcissism, their serving self. And, it, and they say to him, they say, you know, we, we're, we're children of Abraham. We've never been in bondage to any man. And they're under the bondage of the Romans at the time. Jesus said, that, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Serve the Lord and the, and the blessing of that will be freedom. Serve the Lord first. That's the priority. Not yourself, Sadducees and Pharisees. You see this again with, with uh, the interaction with Pilate and they're all concerned about um, Jesus being, the, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead being noise abroad to everybody. Why? Because they said, Pilate will take away our place and our station. They were all about themselves. They wanted freedom, yeah. But they wanted freedom instead of serving God. They wanted to serve God on their terms. They put the priority backwards. Peter had the priority backwards for a while. Okay? The pastor of the first church had the priority backwards. He wanted Jesus to come in and be the conquering king. 
and throw off the infernal Romans, right? You got it backwards, Peter. You serve God first. That's the priority, Peter. It's not your freedom. It's not your national identity. Serve God, Peter. Praise the Lord he learned that. The French Revolution, they got some stuff backwards, didn't they? They got all fired up about the rights of man. They saw that it worked in America, so they were going to go do it themselves. right? And they, it got so ridiculous that the, the rights of, their rights of man just got ridiculous. Like They couldn't even write them all down. It, it just descended into tyranny and chaos. I mean, we all know what happened. You know, the guillotine, okay? that, that was the end result of that French Revolution. They just chopped off a bunch of people's heads and then Napoleon. Okay? Why? They sought after freedom instead of serving God. You can't, you, these two ideas are inseparable. You cannot break them apart. This idea that we have American freedom and American rights, and, and then you should serve God. That's not how it works. You, you subject yourself to the divine, transcendent God and serve Him, and then maybe you'll get the blessing of freedom. That's the right priority. To exalt freedom above God is to serve the tyrant of self and my rights. The founders understood that it is not just about the rights. The rights are, are great but they're a blessing. They're not the purpose. And with freedom comes duty, comes responsibility to the divine ruler. If you're going to be free, you have to subject your own lust. You have to subject your own desires. James Madison said it this way, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern over men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and then the next place, you must oblige it to control itself. And that never happens apart from God. It won't. Washington recognized this very same thing. Of all, He said this in his farewell address, uh, 1791, I think. I don't know. In his farewell address, I know this. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are the indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who would labor to subvert these pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. The mere politician equally with the pious man ought to respect and cherish them. A volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity. You can't separate them. You can't separate God and freedom. It won't work. You'll have anarchy. You'll have tyranny every time. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths which are the instruments of investigation in the courts of justice. What do we have when we put our hand on the Bible and say, I swear before God that I will tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. That doesn't mean anything to us. If we throw out God and say, God doesn't mean anything, God is dead, like Nietzsche said, God is dead, nothing means anything. How do we expect to have a society? 
You can't. So what do we do? We serve God. We be faithful to what He's called us to do. For me, that's loving my wife, my kids. Being faithful to this church. Being faithful to carry on the Great Commission. Follow my pastor. That's the priority. And it may be we go through difficult times. And it may be that things don't look like what they do now. We can't ever forget that we have a duty before God to serve Him no matter what. Let's not get these things confused. Let's not get confused that the blessings of freedom are not the purpose of freedom. The blessings of freedom are the fact that I can go home today to a house and I've got running water and I've got heat and I've got air conditioning. I've got a fireplace. I've got a nice house. I've got people in that house that I love and that love me. I've got a church that wants to do what's right and encourage me, encourages me in the Lord. I've got a job that enables me to provide for my family and to give offerings to the Lord and give back to Him. I have the blessing of being able to say whatever I like. I have the blessing to be able to go to work and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's not get those things confused. Let's serve God. But let's use the blessings that He's given us while we have them. Let's pray.